Welcome to episode number 25 on the My Story Podcast. On the My Story Podcast, we feature interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, I'm Conrad Weaver, your host for the show. I hope you're having a great week, that you've had a great weekend, and that you're on the way to becoming who you're designed to be. Today on the My Story Podcast, we'll hear a conversation with the amazing Kyle Sailors. Kyle is an award-winning film director, and he's the founder of Dinner with Dreamers, a private dining club for creatives and cultural influencers. It's an amazing group. He's had dinner with, get this, more than 6,000 of his friends over the past few years. How can you do that? Well, listen and find out. This event has been so successful, it's been written about in the Huffington Post and other places. In our conversation, Kyle talks about how he started out being a shy kid to now enjoying meeting and connecting with thousands of new people from all over the world. I know you'll enjoy Kyle's interview, so stay tuned. Hey, at the end of today's interview with Kyle, I'm going to share a few takeaways I have from our conversation. It's something new I started last time on the My Story podcast, and I want to encourage you to share your takeaways either on our Facebook page or on the comments in the Apple Podcasts or on the podcast homepage. Let's engage with each other and inspire and challenge each other to be the best we can be. I also encourage you to share this episode with a friend, and if these interviews have meant a lot to you, let someone else in on it. It's a part of living life with purpose and meaning and helping others reach their best potential. And if you could, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That would be awesome. I really appreciate it. And now here's my interview with Kyle Sailors. Welcome, Kyle Sailors, to the My Story Podcast. How's it going, Kyle? Good. So how did Kyle Sailors get to where you are today? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I, in, in a general sense, I make, you know, film and TV. And, and as, as a kid, I was, uh, you know, watched, I lived in a little dusty West Texas town. There really wasn't any much opportunity. Uh, there wasn't, uh, my dad was a cop, pastor, truck driver. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't really have any connections to anything. And But I watched Steven Spielberg movies, and that's what, like, inspired me with awe and like Indiana, Indiana Jones really I'd say is probably the most influential thing as far as like seeing him go around the world and have all these adventures. And sometimes I think the adventure inspired me as much as the film as making the movies is the adventures uh, behind it. So right. I guess my goal became to be like a real life Indiana Jones, <laughs> 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 except making movies in the process. You know? And just seeing some of your, uh, your adventures it looks like you are on that adventure <laughs> yeah <laughs> i got to in the, even in the last i don't know three five years even not including the last 15 but but 20 but uh the I shot in china india africa italy all across italy and france and and uh and swiss and costa rica and uh, japan and i don't even know where all i forget what i did last week wow. anyway. so what kind of pro what kind of projects do you work on uh, I do a little, I do basically it, it came out of when I was in LA, my goal was 
make big movies. That was it. And in dealing with that, we had three years of just really horrible failure after failure after failure and con artists and bad people and, you know, people ripping us off and this and that. We were from Texas, you know, just good, good old boys. And uh, so it was a long learning curve. But through that, you know, uh, we were we had tried to put this film together for a year. It fell through because of 9-11 and this and that. And, and one of our friends called us that was we had made at DreamWorks. And he said, uh, hey, I'm uh, what are y'all doing this Saturday? And I said, uh, really nothing. He goes, well, you want to go to Italy? We're like, <laughs> yeah. And, and now we had been striving and striving and striving to just make movies. And we had made a few, you know, independent films and this and that, but it was just always a battle. And uh, at that moment we were like, we, we went to Italy. We got to be the first people ever to go in the design process of Penafrina and Ferrari, Maserati. Wow. We got to go across Italy. We got to like take Ferraris out of the museum. Like it was truly one of those <laughs> epic life experiences. And at that moment it kind of cracked our mind open to like, Hey, you can actually make money doing like the coolest thing in the whole world, like living the ultimate bucket list. And because we had done stuff previous before trying to do movies that had been MTV hits and stuff, we'd been able to do cool looking stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So it kind of became our hallmark as unique and cool stuff. And because once you shoot in another country, then other people and other projects, it seems to tend to like, oh, wow, they did that with Ferrari. Well, hey, we've got this or this. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of just spun into, but but one of the things that, that really changed our life was, and it was kind of came by accident, was a, uh, was a documentary. And uh, we... We had made a documentary just because we got so tired of dealing with the people in the movie business. We thought, well, documentary is easy. You don't have to deal with a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> and uh, and one of those documentaries was somebody we met at a festival, and it was called Kim Jong Iliad. And it was a lady who it was her very first film, and so we helped her produce it. And uh, she had never directed anything. Well, that thing ended up getting into Sundance. Hmm. And uh, it ended up premiering there and it ended up being nominated for the grand jury prize. But because of that, and Robert Redford said it was his favorite film, the documentary that year, it ended up playing at the U S Capitol. Wow. And and this was a time when no one knew about what was really going on in North Korea. It was a closed country. Hmm. And so it was about the, the uh, defectors who were in the concentration camps, basically the gulags Hmm. and so they took that movie and played it, the first movie ever played in the United States Capitol, and they invited the Congress in to watch it. And then the next day, they brought these these people in our documentary from Korea over, and they testified before Congress. Wow. And at that moment, we were sitting there, and we're just these, you know, we've been doing like little fluffy things and fun things and, you know, just adventure mm-hmm. things. And we realized, holy cow, this little tiny documentary has the power to change world politics and wow and it ended up they ended up because it played at the u.s capitol they ended up planted in parliaments across europe and so it was a it was the introduction to sanctions against north korea and what they were doing on their human rights violations wow so you've played a role in uh, international politics there yeah out of just making a little <laughs> cool like wow this would be a cool adventure <laughs> you know? wow so was your were you more the producer um, yeah, we were producers on that. Uh, and it was one of those. And we've always been like, we really started in producing because we didn't know, we didn't know how to direct. We, we had worked on at uh, 
some TV stations, and then we had worked with NBC Sports and the Dallas Cowboy games, and you know, just various mm-hmm. crew. But we were like, well, we don't have any credibility in directing, so long, nobody's going to let us do something. But we said, producing, that's just like making it happen, putting stuff right. together. And so that became at first. And then what happened is through our experiences in LA, dealing with these directors who were going over budget or this or that, or going crazy or egos, or mm-hmm. that's when we decided like, man, we can do what they do <laughs> even better <laughs> and keep it on budget. And so we started directing that, that I, I created the opportunity to direct, to direct. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. I find myself much more, 90% of what I do is directing. My brother's become a much better producer. I've become a much better, I think, director because I'm getting a little too scatterbrained, you know, for mm-hmm. producing. But <laughs> I still like to put together the big picture, you know. So what are some of the, the values that you've developed over the years and how are those guiding your, you know, guiding your projects and guiding how you do business? Uh, one of them is to don't deal with knuckleheads and egos and, it's just like life's too short to deal with that. And when you, when you do that, it's amazing what that weeds out of the, out of your life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just by making a decision, like I'm going to do these type of things, uh, that you can, it, uh, I'm trying to figure out how you explain this, but like basically by putting your own standard of what I'm willing to work with and, and, and who I'm willing to work with, now, obviously, sometimes, and especially when we're getting back into doing feature films now, we've got one uh, inked with a larger studio. But uh, but we, what we what we didn't know or do was in documentaries. You come across some nefarious characters, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know. Sure. And so I'm not talking about the context of the the. I'm talking about who you make it with, you know. And, mm-hmm. and all of my bad experiences life have been usually from my own choice of doing business with somebody that, you know, I know better anyway, there's red flags and I do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how have you seen the movie business, the industry change over the years? Uh, First, there's a more content now created almost every week than maybe in a decade back in the fifties, you know, like there's, there's so much, there's, a demand and an insatiable appetite for content. And as the population grows and as the, the outlets grow, so there's more opportunity, like almost anyone, if they really wanted to do this, could make a career out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so there is an opportunity. Whereas when I started, it was just kind of like, we didn't have any, no clue. It was just some faraway land and, and no one really thought, you know, who are these people? And what I did is when we worked for, I think it was really with NBC Sports, we're hanging around with all these famous athletes that we grew up in Texas watching, you know, with the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And we realized they're just, and especially the crew, they're just regular people, you know, like mm-hmm. they're just ordinary dudes that just, some of them are just knuckleheads too. And they, they just kept doing what they do, or maybe they got lucky or maybe they, whatever, but it real it took the stigma out of like, these are some kind of special breed of humans. Mm-hmm. And so I think the opportunities now are endless. You can sit at home on your iPhone and, and get millions of people following you. If you, if you do something. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you think the, the, the price point, the entry point is so much lower for in, in getting into production. Do you think that has affected quality? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think there was, you know, because now basically for 20 bucks, a student can get the same, the same, you know, Adobe master suite as the major studios. Or, right. You know? Right. And so, but what it does, and I saw this and this is what was interesting is there was a major shootout with a big cinematographer and he said, and they had cameras from a $600 camera to a hundred thousand dollar camera. Mm-hmm. They used the same lighting, the same setup, the same, everything, the same lenses. And they swapped those cameras out. And at the end of the thing, he said, I'm done. He goes, I'm never going to do a shootout again. He goes, the diff, the difference between $600 and 100,000 is so minimal. The only difference is going to be talent. Hmm. Your skill and what and how yep. you use the equipment. How do you use your skills? Yep. Hmm. Wow. So how do you set yourself apart from all the knuckleheads out there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, be a good human being. <laughs> uh, Sometimes I, those I are do, hard to find. Yeah, I do this. Uh, it, it, you know, this is a it's a separate part of my life, but it all kind of weaves together. When I left LA and I only had a few friends really there and I was a very friendly person, a few friends I trusted when I came back and when I ended up in Nashville, I thought, you know, I'm tired of this mentality of, I refuse to share my connections. I mean, we were doing a movie with a dude. He would not let us meet the distributor because, and we're, we're the producers on the movie that they are making with the studio. He Mm -hmm. refused to let us meet them because he's afraid you're going to steal my connection. When, when that's your mentality, oh, I don't want to share this person. So when I came to Nashville, I basically did a revolt against that. And, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and I called it, really, it was a party in my house with my friends, and I called it the Log Cabin Launch Party, the launch of New Year. And I had 150 friends over, and I just, the rules were zero ego. If you have any ego, I'm going to kick you out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're the top guy in the whole industry. We had some of them there all the way to like, you're starting out. Everybody's equal when you're in the log cabin. Hmm. And if you've been really blessed, then you should pay it forward to somebody else. And instead of walking up to people and saying, how can you help me mentally say, how can I help you? And that created a, I don't know if you call it a culture, uh, what it is, but it was among my friends. And, And a few months later, all these things started happening between those people, not for me, but between Mm -hmm. those people. And then they were like, man, you need to have another party. And I had another one and I said, invite someone who you think is cool. So these were just secret private parties, you know, just fun parties and Mm -hmm. music and, and people telling their stories. And, and anyway, the last one I had at my house, I had about 700 people there. Wow. I don't necessarily advise that, (laughs) (laughs) but somehow it works. And through that, I started going to dinner with maybe, I was like, well, I can't know these people if I, so I started going to dinner with maybe 25 to 25 first and then to 12, 15, 20, 30, 50, a hundred sometimes, but I try to keep it more intimate. And, and through that, the last four years I've gone to dinner, with probably 6,000 people wow. through that is where almost probably 95% of all of my projects uh, come through these relationships that I build in this community and that just helps each other, inspires each other. Now can just pretty much anyone come to these dinners or they have to have a special invite? Yeah, it just has to be invited by someone who's in the group. So it's a secret Facebook group. So even if you search for it, you might find there's been articles written about it, but no one knows, nobody can actually know how to get to it. Mm -hmm. So like, it's only if, 
if I meet somebody or if somebody in the group meets somebody and they're like, oh, they're a cool person, you know, they're an awesome artist, they're this, and they invite them in. And so. Do you think that's kind of, it's, it's a, it's kind of a, a thing for our culture today. We're so attached to our screens and we're, you know, always looking at our phones. Do you think that the, the popularity of this or the success of this is punching back at the technology that we've all been attached to? We want those human relationships, those per, in-person, you know, plus impress the flesh type of experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, that's what I've had friends that, you know, I was friends with us for seven years on Facebook and then, but give me three minutes at a dinner uh, and I hear their story, boom, I, I, I'll, they suddenly become a part of my life. Like, you know, they suddenly become somebody that I know versus somebody that I have a Facebook friend, that an icon, you know, floating around with 5,000 other people. And what happened is like, I would have somebody cool come and tell their story, but I wouldn't tell anybody who it was. So you had to come to figure out who it was. But then I thought, you know, I'm going to tell everybody who it is. So that way, if you don't get to come, you miss out. And uh, and I think somebody that I hate the word networking. Number one, I hate parties. And I really have never been a party person. I'm not. I hate networking groups. I mm-hmm. never go to those things. And so this came out of being a shy kid growing up. I did not like going into groups of people I didn't know. And so now I'm obviously the far extreme opposite of that. But like now when I create this, I try, I try to every single person walk up and hug them and just say hi and welcome and, you know, and make them feel like they're a part because I was the person who wasn't a part of so many mm-hmm. things growing up. And so the minute you can make someone comfortable just for a second or you introduce them to somebody and, and it creates a culture of people who are, uh, there was one story, uh, this lady, she runs a big film uh, institute and I was like, Hey, you got to come to one of my dinners. And she's like, Oh no, no, I don't, I don't do that. She goes, I, I haven't really, other than work, I really haven't left my apartment mm-hmm. in nine years. I was like, well, this is going to be the exception because even if, so anyway, she ended up coming. The minute she sat down, she sat down somebody who's like, oh, hey, how's it going? And they became friends. And now, fast forward like two years later, this lady is like the party lady. She goes to Cannes and this and that. She travels all over the world. She goes to every event and party. She's like, what did you do to me, Kyle? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, that's awesome and and it was because it was because see when you connect with human beings and you look them in the eye you you build rapport and connections that can't really exist in any other any other facet Mm. no matter who what how well and and you do these events in nashville mostly right mostly nashville because that's where i'm from but because i travel if now so like i was in london and I said, Dinner with Dreamers London, just because I thought, hey, it sounded cool. Mm-hmm, even if sure. Well, ended up five people who had come to my parties or dinners in Nashville happened to be somewhere in England running around doing stuff. And so we all got together at the Wellington. It was one of the coolest nights ever. And so it's not necessarily about the money. It's about the numbers. It's about the mm-hmm. people. And I don't I don't charge anything. I don't make money off this. I did, people buy their own dinner. So right. I'm not paying for them. They're not paying for me. And we just we just enjoy each other's company. And so instead of going out with, you know, dinner with one friend, I'll go out with 25 or 50. That's pretty cool. Well, I'll have to uh, admit, and I think I've told you this before, that I totally stole your idea. Oh, that's and great. Doing a, kind of <laughs> a it. very small version of that in here in Frederick, Maryland. Uh, we've had maybe three dinners so far. 
uh, call it dinner with friends. It's, it's, it's a really, awesome. you know, non-creative title, but, uh, it's been an amazing experience. And I always like, uh, like you kind of suggested, I always bring someone along who's a special, you know, a special person, maybe just someone that has a story to tell. And uh, our last one, we had a neighbor of mine who's the vice president of student affairs at one of the local universities. He's African-American. He's just got an amazing story. And we just had this really cool conversation about race relations. And it was just, it was like, everybody was like, this has just been, we had like maybe eight people there. And they were like, this is an amazing experience. And it was just so much fun. And I can't wait till I plan the next one. But, uh, oh, that's awesome, man. See, to me, that's the greatest. Like, to me, those are the stories that I, that reason that I keep doing that is because of that right there. Mm. Like, when you, when I hear, like, I heard somebody else told me from, uh, Alabama, they'd come to the parties and stuff, and they're like, hey, Kyle, we incorporated this with, uh, she's like, we kind of stole your idea for our church. She goes, I realized like all these pastors in town kind of see each other's competition. So we just had a party for yeah. only the pastors and they just know talking about your religious standpoints. You just get to know each other. And she goes, and then we go, instead of inviting just people to church, which most people have a stigma against, we just go to picnics mm-hmm. and have parties at the park and, and people's houses. And she goes, it's transformed our community wow. of just taking down these walls of like, you know, barriers between people and just like, cause my party is it's all kinds of people sure. like every kind. And, and it, and it, and it takes away this, this, uh, separation. When I was a kid and I was shy, I may not have said anything, but I listened to everything. And I, and I was sitting there and I would listen to the jocks and then the, the people wearing the all black kind of this and that. And here's all these little segments of clicks and, and I realized they all talk about the same movies. They all talk about the <laughs> same, some of them like the same music. Mm-hmm. Literally, some of it's just down to the label on their clothes that separated mm-hmm. them. And I was like, it's really kind of a dumb philosophy in life, you know, to only hang out with people that look exactly like you and think yeah. like you. You know, a couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to, I was, uh, I was hired by this organization very liberal organization to help with a, a Facebook live event down on, on the Hill, Capitol Hill. And it was with Elizabeth Warren and some of her people. And, and, uh, so I went and produced this Facebook live thing. And after we were done talking, after we were done, we were walking out of the building and I was talking to the, the producers and somehow we got talking about Wyoming. And I said, yeah, I got this rancher friend in Wyoming that I'm good friends with. And, he was a former state senator and, and they were like, what, you know, a Republican. (laughs) And I thought to myself, that's the problem. You don't even want to know anyone from the other side, you know? And so I think doing these things that where you bring all kinds of people together, we need more of that. We need people just putting aside their political ideologies and just be people, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's where some of the, I don't even know, man, I, like my life is crazy. Like I have the most random and, you know, like, I think I feel more like Forrest Gump sometimes, <laughs> but <laughs> I end up at these random places with all these famous people. And I'm like, how the heck did I get here? Why did they let me in the door? <laughs> yeah. So how do you, how do you select the films that you work on? 
Uh, you know, it's kind of more of a gut feeling of like, there's some really random ones. Like we did the, uh, working on this, uh, who killed Nicole, which was about the night of Nicole Simpson murders. Mm -hmm. And it was really just through one of my friends said, Hey, you want to talk to OJ's manager? Uh, on the phone and this was like five or six years ago and it kind of developed over really a friendship that turned into a project but like I don't really sometimes I do stuff and I don't even know why I'm doing them I just feel like I think I'm supposed to do mm. this and and so but if I were to have a criteria it's either working with a great person that I want to work with a great adventure that I've always wanted to do uh, or a, a great cause mm. and and if it's one of those things, then I'm more likely to do it. If it's something that just sounds boring or, you know, maybe uh, the fourth one would be, well, let's make a cool Facebook post. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, never mind. I can't do it. <laughs> so who are some of the people that have most influenced you over the years? Probably Steven Spielberg the most, like just because he, he created films that had magic encapsulated in them and and that and sometimes i guess it's the intangible stuff but it's just the art the art of telling stories and so anyone who's a great storyteller whether that's a comedian or whether that's a you know a youtube maker or a commercial person like these john lewis commercials mm -hmm. man i don't know if you've seen that elton john john lewis i think commercial. i have man it'll it'll just like wow that is incredible you know inside of you know a couple of minutes that it's just takes you on this whole journey mm -hmm. and so that's really to me that's why even a music video it can take someone in three minutes it can change their life i mean it can become the song of their romance or the song of their their childhood or the song of their you know and so that i just i have a love for stories and that's why, you know, I used to have this for a long time. And that's why we hit so many failures. We were stuck in this. No, we're only going to make movies, big movie. That's what we're trying to do. And what we realized, it's the story is what's mm. powerful, not the, the movie. Right. And, it, and it could be any number of outlets or ways to tell it. Mm -hmm. Like you, you're, you're a storyteller through a podcast. Yeah, you know? yeah that's what's why I enjoy. I love doing this because I get to talk to fascinating people and hear really cool stories. And uh, that's why I produce documentaries as well, because I get to tell interesting stories. Uh, and there's a larger market for documentaries, thank you to Discovery Channel and right. stuff. Then, I mean, if you look at Netflix or Amazon Top 50, almost half of those are documentaries that aren't big, famous documentaries. They're just like documentaries that people... And so when people aren't paying for them, you know, it used to be when you go to the theater and you're like, okay, I'm going to pay 15 bucks uh, I th am I going to watch the uh, Marvel or, or this documentary I never mm -hmm. heard of that might be crap? Mm -hmm. People had a more tendency to say, well, I'll go with this studio film. Right. It's safer. Right. Whereas now with Netflix and stuff, they're like, okay, I'm bored of all this. Let's see. What is what else mm -hmm. is out there? Oh, this looks interesting. Let me yeah. try it out. And they're true stories for the most part. I mean, they're, and that's what yeah. I think that's what we, we, you know, we connect to those kind of things. And I think that's why story is so powerful because we can connect we can see ourselves in a situation or we can, we can, uh, you know, we're moved. Uh, yeah. I mean, the other yeah. week I was watching the uh, Garth Brooks documentary on A&E and man, I sit there and bawled my eyes out every, every time. I mean, cause it was like, it was just a powerful story, you know, and it was just Garth Brooks. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah he was the biggest 
ticket seller of all times in the music business. But uh, it was fascinating how that story just made me, you know, I connected with it, not because I'm a multi-billionaire like he is, but because he had a interesting story. And he remained a good human. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what, that's what was amazing too, is that this, this guy is just down to earth. And, you know, I saw something, I, I guess it was in the uh, Ken Burns documentary about country music, which was again, fascinating. Uh, he touched a little bit about Garth Brooks and how he would stand for hours signing autographs and just meeting the people that, you know, got him to where he is today. And, uh, those kind of stories are really fascinating to me. And that's why I, you know, I love watching them. I love, you know, working on projects like that. When the movie about your life is made, what will the log line be? Uh, the comedy of errors. I don't know. <laughs> 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 uh, I think when I was a teenager and I don't know, I didn't like school and I didn't like doing homework. So I would do my homework from one class in the next class. <laughs> and so literally I never had homework. I would always do it in the next class. And, and, uh, but I would read books and, and I would read like, I was fascinated with like Abraham Lincoln or like the different characters through history. And I realized anybody ever wrote, read, read a story about that did something great in their life they were massive failures Mm. like along the way. And so like mentally I just checked off like, okay, if I want to do something great in life, I need to fail a lot Mm. and then learn from it and just keep failing my way up. And that's basically hallmarks. My whole career is failing my way to the top. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, know, I think sometimes we look at failure as, as a really a negative and, uh, and I, and I know in grow, you know, with a generation of young people growing up with parents that have kind of given them everything and, you know, they get trophies for participation, you know, it's like, if you don't fail, you don't learn. Yeah. And I, I have like, I mean, so many times, I mean, I'm, I don't know how many years I wasted on projects that went nowhere, people with this, this, this but like, for some reason, sometimes there were one person that I met in that project that had it not been for that, I would have never met that one person that turned into something else. And so like sometimes the failures bring out and it also brings out who your real friends are. Uh, it brings out who, uh, your, uh, you can trust if it brings out a whole lot of stuff. And so in a way failures are like awesome, you know, like, and so, but, I don't know how, I don't know if this is from my DNA or whatever, like when something fails, I mean, I could have spent three months putting this thing together and if it just all of a sudden just falls apart for whatever reason in one day and it's happened, like literally within, I'd be like, dang it. And then within an hour, I literally never think of it again. Hmm. Like I don't even give it one seed except for, okay, what did I do wrong and why? And then that's it. It's ancient history in my mind. And and it doesn't matter. I don't mope around on like, oh, I spent so many flipping hours and days and months and this and this. And why did I do this? I just stop because all, what is that going to get you? Nothing. Hmm. You know? So it's really a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do to keep yourself sharp? Uh, coffee. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
have a cup in my hand right now. <laughs> yeah, I was just drinking one. I was like, I hope I don't fall asleep on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. Uh, I mean, to hone those skills to keep, you know, your directing skills and your creative skills. What do you do to inspire creativity? Well, I think sometimes, like, I don't really necessarily have to do music videos anymore or something. But like, there's no rules in those art. Mm -hmm. So you can, if I want to experiment, I want to try a new camera. I want to try something crazy that no one's ever done. I'll go do a friend's music video or some artist or whatever. And I can go outside of the boundaries, try it. And if it totally tanks, but it really never tanks in that. I always make it look cool, but like you can, you can expand your boundaries by doing smaller projects. And so some people, when they get to a certain level, they don't want to do any more small projects, which is kind of where I'm at. Like it's almost schedule wise. It's not going to work, but I love doing things that I can learn and try new stuff. So I never just get stuck with using one camera or one top of lens or one top. I always change it up. I'm always pressing the limits. And one of the things is like, because we weren't trained in a traditional film school and we didn't know this, but we, we were doing everything wrong. So all I based it on was, does it look cool on the monitor? That's Mm -hmm. it. So we were throwing, you know, lighting on the ground. Like it's one of our hallmarks, I guess, is we put lots on the ground. Well, no one lights from the ground. Mm. And so, (laughs) and so I'll, but I get invited to these film conferences to do like, I'll do lighting without lighting, like Mm. using practicals to light. Mm -hmm. Because if you're doing documentaries, you may or may not be able to use. So how do you create it to look like lighting without, but also, uh, to, so I did this one and we were doing just, Hey, you got three lights. What kind of oil can you do? So we had this big screen up and then after it was over, this guy walks up and he's like, he's like, Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm the professor of lighting at such and such university film program. And I was like, Oh no, <laughs> he's going to tell he's us all what we did wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. He's going to excoriate me. And, and he goes, he goes, I just want to tell you, he goes, you did everything wrong (laughs) and and he goes and then his next line was he said how do i untrain myself Mm. and uh and he said he goes i've been in a box for 18 years that i didn't know i was creating boxes for people and i thought that was one of the greatest and so what happened is our stuff looked different Mm -hmm. because we weren't doing it the way everybody else did it and so by looking different people are like Huh? They would look at our the whatever it is we made anything, and they said, "Man, it looks different." Like I don't, uh, there's not a tangible like you don't know how or why. It just looks different. Therefore, they like, well, that's what I want. I want something that looks different. We want you know Red Bull or whatever it was that we ended up doing. We did their first American TV series, their first story driven show. Hmm. Uh, we did a lot of their like more groundbreaking stuff, and then they. But the reason they did it is because of one reel they saw that we had shot at the Indy 500, and they were like, we want that. Hmm. Like, I don't know what you did there, but that's what we want, Hmm. you know? And so, you know, create stuff that doesn't have to be – if you're trying to emulate everybody else, they can just get the person you're emulating Hmm. and make sure. So do your own thing. What's been your favorite project you've worked on? Uh, That's a – Almost an impossible <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, everything has 
its own reasons that they're my favorite. So like, for instance, like this was not as, as an end product, it was not my favorite. It was something cool, but like we got to go for two years and make a TV show basically out of Emmett Smith's celebrity golf term. Hmm. So like he's got 50 of his celebrity buddies from like Spud Webb to Steve Harvey and Dr. Phil and like all these crazy people. So, you know, Tony Romo and here, mm-hmm. I mean, like, and so it was one of the most fun things on the planet. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, oh, this is my opus in life. Right, right. <laughs> it was like, this is flipping amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's different reasons. One of the, one of the more, one of the more significant things that just like, it didn't, it's not from the commercial success of it, but it was from, uh, uh, we did this documentary, we went across India. Now this was truly, if there's an Indiana Jones moment in my life mm-hmm. was making it's called Vell of Tears. We spent three months tracking India, north, south, east, west. Wow. I've to this day have never met an Indian person who has been to more places in India than I have. Wow. And uh and so we went from the top from Assam to the to down Calcutta to the places we went to one place where literally the translators, we had three translators, the village came out and stared at us <laughs> and he and they were like, Can they touch you? And then we're like, Yeah. He says they've they've never seen white people. We're like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. They don't have electricity or TV. They did not know you exist. They think you just came out of the sky. Wow. So, wow. <laughs> so they are like staring at us, like, what the mm-hmm. heck? And uh, so, like, I've literally got to live. But the project that we made was about the plot of women in India, mm. and. We made it with an organization who was on the ground because I don't ex- suggest traveling into foreign lands without somebody that knows. Oh, somebody. sure. But, uh, but like, because uh, we've been pulled over by machine gun guards mm. and all kind of stuff in our day. But, like, usually 20 bucks will get you out of it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, what happened is that documentary ended up getting over 16,000 individual screenings in churches and universities and schools Mm. and whatever. By the end of the year, when it was released, it came in 12 cities and theaters. It was just a limited, you know, 12 cities. Mm. By the end of the weekend, they had basically made their money back Mm. uh, of what they spent. And, uh, and by the end of the year, 100, we gave hundred percent of our proceeds back to, the organization to go directly to these women mm-hmm. and to the things. And by the end of the year, over a million dollars wow. had been raised people who had seen. And to this day, I don't even know how many, that was just at the end of the first right. year. And, and so they said in their 35 year history, nothing had ever brought more awareness and broke open more doors than that one 90 minute mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. What is the next big thing for you? We are, well, it's kind of all stuff I can't talk about, sure. but like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're changing directions in one regard. And we, the last two years have been a transition. It's kind of hard because when you do something one way, and this is how you make your money and mm-hmm. everything that we're, we're trying to transition into, because I'm always preaching, think bigger. And so we literally have 100 times expanded our vision mm. and, and in doing so, that's a hard, it's a hard curve. It's mm-hmm. a hard process, but in an alignment of like these crazy 
by doing things that I'm supposed to do, like dinner with dreamers and meeting people and this and that, that I feel just like it's a part of my life. Uh, I'm supposed to connect people with no agenda, with no recoup. Mm-hmm. Through that has become the greatest blessings of people. And now we've got an assortment of projects that literally are going to change our whole life mm-hmm. and the world. And all of it has come through just persistence and dedication and doing things that some of which are huge and some of which are, you know, just disappear. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and some of it's going to be back. We're making a specific effort to get back into doing movies. Uh, we've done a lot of feature documentaries right now. We have one that's qualified for Academy award and for British Academy award and for a Spanish Goya that uh, is a documentary. So we've, we've had a lot of success in that. We're using that in our the critical acclaim that we've got through that to be able to say we can tell stories at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And so some of the biggest movie makers in the world were first documentarians. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to use that now to go back into doing movies and then to do some other stuff mm-hmm. that's kind of out of the wheelhouse. But like what we're doing is we align with the people who are the best. So right now we're getting a chance to work with some of our people who made the stuff that impacted our childhood mm. that are like legendary. And, and so that's the coolest thing ever. And so to be able to learn from them and find, okay, who's on a way higher level than us. And if we can learn from them to help pull us up to that level mm. so that the next time around we can pull the next guy. Up. Wow. Well, that's, you've had an amazing career so far and you've got a, you know, a long way to go the rest of your life. And uh, I just want to say congratulations on all your success and, all the projects I, I really, uh, want you, you, where can we see some of your work? Uh, I mean, our stuff's played on, I don't know, 25 different networks mm-hmm. and on, uh, on Amazon right now, there's, uh, like that who killed Nicole, uh, about the OJ Simpson. Uh, there's, uh, they're about to do a big push on that. And when they replay the court trial in January, uh, but they, uh, there's, I mean, there's, I don't even know, like once I make something, I literally never think mm-hmm. about it again. So I hand it off to a distributor or somebody. And so I know we've had stuff on Netflix. We had uh, one of our old documentaries from nine years ago, like last year was all of a sudden popped up on top 10 on Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't even know. We forgot we even made the thing. I was flipping through Amazon. It was right between Indiana Jones and Avengers. I was like, holy crap, what's that doing there? <laughs> you know? And so uh, that was called facing yeah. that. But, uh, so we can just do a kind of a Google search your name and yeah, Sailor's so, yeah. Brothers and we can find stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Kyle, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to me today on the My Story podcast. And it's uh, fun to connect. And uh, I think we met just a little over a year ago out at AFM in Santa Monica. And uh, it's fun to get to know you and to learn more about what you guys do and your passion for telling stories. And so I want to say congratulations and uh, keep on making good stories. Thank you. And thank you for your story to hear that you created a dinner that was inspired by mine. Like I love, like that is the coolest thing ever. So like, I believe er, I would, everybody, it's just creating a chance to connect with humans in a, in a, the most connected world that we've ever had. That's most disconnected. Right. right. And I think if you make that a conscious part, I know a lot of filmmakers that they sit in boxes and, and editing rooms and they never get out and they wonder why they can't 
ever get anything going. Mm. And that's why, yeah. because it takes human beings. Yeah. You know? Well, I can't wait to come to Nashville to attend one of your dinners. Shoot. Yeah. yeah. Let me know when you're here. Yeah. I'll, most of them are put together within 48 right, hours. Right. So. <laughs> I know <laughs> this, the last one you had, that. you had that big party at the, uh, Johnny Cash's awesome. farm. Johnny Cash Farm, yeah. And my wife was like, man, we should have been going to that. But I was out in Santa Monica at the yeah, time. Yeah, so we literally we had like make it. people from 20 states come to that one party with two weeks no notice. Kidding. Like, you know. Wow. Uh, and we even had people from London like flow in to come. To no just kidding. To, well, that's a, that's a real testament to what you have done and what you've created there. Yeah. And what I, my main goal is just to create an experience that will never be replicated. Whatever happens every time I do a dinner. And that's what one of my friends, he owns a big, big networking organization with tens of thousands of members. And he goes, he goes, what's different? He goes, is what I do. He goes, they know if they miss one, they can just see it next week. They can come back. Hmm. You know, it's consistent. They know when and where yours, hmm. it will never happen again. Like whatever you post, hmm that day to, for tomorrow. And so literally one time <laughs> I did one and I was like, Oh man, I was waiting to see my schedule. Cause my schedule is crazy. And, uh, at two o'clock in the afternoon, I posted the event for seven o'clock that night. <laughs> and, uh, four hours later, 40 people got together. Like they changed wow. their schedule to be there because every time whoever's there, it's an experience and they're going to walk out lifted higher than when they walked in. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And, and it's been, it's been fun for me to do it on a, on a smaller scale anyway. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And so thank you for inspiring that in me. Well, now I want to come to one of yours. So whenever I come. <laughs> well, absolutely. If you, you let me know when you come to the DC area and we will do a dinner with friends Yeah. and you will be my special guest. Thanks, Kyle, for taking time to talk with me. I'm looking forward to attending one of your Dinner with Dreamers, and I can't wait to have you as a guest at my dinner very soon. So a couple takeaways from this interview. These are more questions than answers, so feel free to chime in on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or on the My Story podcast page. First, we all need to work at being good human beings. I think there are so many selfish people in the world, and I think social media has exacerbated this issue. There's so many selfish people that only focus on themselves. And who likes being around someone like that? I know I don't. So what are you doing to be a better you? The best thing you can give to others is the best you. If we would take our focus off of trying to make an impression and hope that others think highly of us, and if we just focus on being a better person, I think will experience a level of success that may surprise us. So I'm going to do things every day to prepare myself to be the best that I can be by watching what I eat, by getting the exercise I need to reading and stimulating my mind and getting a good night's sleep. If I'm not at my best, I won't bring my best and I can't be the best for the people that I meet on a daily basis. And for the people that are, I'm around, you know, my family and my friends, I want to be the best I can be. So I'm going to do everything I can to be the best. I hope that makes sense. So the second thing, it kind of leads into what I just talked about. You know, when I'm the best me, I won't have to imitate others to be successful. 
I don't want to be a copycat. I, w I don't want to hang on someone else's coattails to, you know, quote unquote, make it. And I think this is what Kyle has done. He's worked hard at being the best person, being generous and friendly and kind. And he's been able to forge a path for himself and his company towards success. So I know I have work to do. What is it that you're going to do to become the best you so that you can be productive and more successful in the world? So send me a note on the show page or on Facebook, and let's have a dialogue about these things. So next week on the My Story podcast, I'll have my interview with American pop artist Michael Albert. If you haven't heard of Michael Albert, you will soon. His art is amazing, and his story is really inspiring, and his work is getting out there to the public. It's amazing artwork. If you haven't Googled him before, Google Michael Albert and you'll see some amazing work that he's going to do. Well, he's going to be right here on the My Story podcast. We'll hear his amazing story and his, his inspiring work that is reaching people all around the world. So come back next week for my interview with Michael Albert. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts and think that more people should listen, I would tend to agree with you. So why don't you give me a review on Apple Podcasts? Then share this episode with a friend. You can send it through a text message or an email or through a Facebook post. And be sure to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. The music on today's show is from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music on iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. Last, be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. And if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Mm -hmm.